I think we always are trying to sort of continually grow the business mm -hmm. because once you stop trying, then I think it can just become stale pretty quickly. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is all about creativity and hustle happening in and around the great state of Montana. I'd like to start off the episode with just kind of a special thank you to, uh, to all the listeners, to all of you. This has been a really fun, fulfilling journey for all of us here at the podcast, and it's sort of a random milestone, but this is our 20th episode uh, since launching back in late uh, January of this year. It's been really fun. We've gotten a lot of encouragement and positive feedback from the community, from many of you. Great ideas about how to make the show better. Great suggestions for guests. And I just really appreciate that. Please keep that energy coming and um, and help us grow the show. We're, we've got a pretty good audience now, but we're trying to expose it to more people, to grow it, to improve the quality, um, to uh, make it more sustainable. So if you have uh, any ideas for how to do that, uh, whether it's an idea for a guest, an idea for promoting it more efficiently or effectively, or an idea for a sponsor, um, let me know. Uh, send me a, an email at anewangle at umontana.edu. Okay, so today's episode is a special one. I interview Matt McQuilkin, the co-owner and co-founder of Black Coffee Roasting. I have kind of a special relationship with black coffee in the sense that, you know, when I moved here in 2012, it was kind of my uh, point of entry in a way. First place I got a cup of coffee, and um, getting a cup of coffee is a pretty intimate thing, or it can be. It's it's a big, uh, it can be a big community builder. And going over to their location, um, uh, I guess I think it was on Wyoming or Montana, off of uh, Russell Street, it was just such a, a fun ritual for me and my daughters early on in our time here. And it's just been really fun to track the success of that business and the role it plays in the community not only through creating an outstanding product, but also uh, in supporting a lot of the things going on uh, in town. So talking to Matt was a, was a pleasure. Uh, it was really fun to learn the path he took that sort of uniquely positioned himself for success in the coffee industry. We'll trace his past through the good food store, um, through his experience as the cheesemonger, sort of developing his palate. And then, you know, as his business has grown, it's been really interesting to see and listen to his uh, view of this community and why it's a special place and how a certain uh, milieu of businesses really sort of support themselves, support each other. And there's a great sort of spirit among many of the entrepreneurs in the town. So it's a fun conversation. And as always, I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. I'll turn you over to Black Coffee's Matt McQuilkin. Okay, so we're here with Matt McQuilkin. Matt, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, no problem, Justin. So Matt is the co-owner of Black Coffee with Jim. What's Jim's last name? Jim Chapman. Name? Jim Chapman. I, I haven't talked as much with Jim, but but I've enjoyed getting to know you the last uh, few months. It's sort of a strange, strange thing that we haven't known each other for longer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, paths have crossed on various occasions, and many people have said, "Oh, yeah, you should know Matt." Mm -hmm. And um, but I feel like I've I've known your product and your business for a long time. It was one of my first and early favorites moving here to Missoula in 2012. A real estate agent gave us a pound of, um, not a pound, but a bag of, I think it was the a AM yeah, blend. Most likely that's still our most popular coffee. Yeah, so. and I was just blown away. Like, this place is awesome. 
and uh, I used to drive out to your location on Russell all the time, and it's actually my favorite place to go and do work because I never <laughs> uh, never see anybody out there. Yeah, that it was I knew pretty quiet. Or, yeah. yeah, just an awesome place. So I want to get into all that, but first of all, one of the things you said to me the first time I sort of met you was, "Hey, nice hat," and it was a Red Sox hat. And so, how does a guy from Boston area end up in in Missoula? Maybe well, get into that story. Well, yeah. So I um, I was actually born in Manhattan, um, and but but moved to born in Manhattan. But my folks lived in New Jersey when I was born. They just drove to Manhattan for the birth because it was the closest hospital. My okay. dad my dad took a job in Boston um, when I was two. So I grew up in Boston. Um, don't have any real emotional connection to New York aside from uh, being born there but grew up in Boston and uh, yeah I had a you know lo- love growing up there a huge Red Sox fan always have been after high school uh, my dad my, my parents had divorced my dad moved down to Atlanta um, okay. and at the time I was closer with my dad so I ended up going to school in Memphis Tennessee um, for three semesters because I wanted to be uh, commuting distance from my father sure um, and then, but just hated living in the Southeast so much. It just, the lifestyle was, uh, was not, was not for me. Um, and I was really craving being in the mountains. I had done a Knowles course when I was in high school. Oh, where was the Knowles course? In the Wind Rivers in, in Wyoming. It was like a mountaineering Okay. Course. National Outdoor Leadership School. Correct. Knowles, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Exactly. Um, and, uh, and after that, like I, you know, I've talked to other people that kind of share a similar story, but, but I was so just captured by the mountains yeah. and, yeah. um, by sort of the outdoor lifestyle um, and recreation that I knew that I that I wanted to get back to. I wanted to live in, in the mountains, in the Rockies. Right. Um, and so when when going to school in Memphis didn't really pan out for me as far as, you know, I just I just couldn't stand it. Like I said, I um that that's when I made the made the leap and just said I'm moving to I'm moving to the mountains and didn't really know anything about Missoula and kind of moved here on a whim with a buddy of mine. Okay. Um, and him and I were both kind of like, we were kind of dreamers and we were always kind of like, like coming up with big ideas that we were going to do and, you know, none of them really ever happened. So when we said we were moving to Montana, everyone was like, you know, people were like, no, you're whatever, you're not moving. Right. Who the heck do you think you are? Well, I mean, and in Memphis, like all people yeah. don't even know where, like people are like, people actually live in Montana. Right. What is Montana? Do they have cars there? You know, like <laughs> literally people like would have believed you if you said that we just rode horses. Totally. Um, so, but we ended up uh, packing up our car and we moved out to Montana and, and that was kind of it. Moved to a town that we knew nothing about. And sure. That being Missoula? Or? That being Missoula. Yeah. And that was in January of 1997. Okay. So semester ended in Memphis in December and then transferred. And so I did my uh, two and a half years of college here. I finished, graduated college in the University of Montana. Okay. And what did you study here? I, um, well, that's a funny story. We can, I got a, uh, a Bachelor of Science um, in Resource Conservation. Okay. And until, so we serve a bunch of coffee on campus at this point. Yeah. And I never, I never, I graduated in 99. I never saw my diploma. So all these years... <laughs> I didn't actually know. I was like, did I miss a credit? Or, like, I wonder if I actually graduated. And we were on campus last week. Or, no, no, I'm sorry, last month. And uh, one of my coworkers and I, and I was like, 
do you have a second? And she said, yeah. And I said, can we stop at the registrar's <laughs> office real quick? So I went in there and um, and asked him. I was like, hey, my name is Matt McQuilkin. Like, can you tell me if I actually graduated? <laughs> right. And they, they said that I did. And they asked me if I'd like to uh, pay the 30 bucks or whatever for a... Oh, geez, of course. Yeah, yeah. And I did. And it showed up in my house two days ago. So I just got my I just got my diploma. Well, congratulations. Thank you. I graduated. Are you, you going to walk this spring? With I don't all think so. Okay. <laughs> well, if you want to, let me know. We'll okay. get you a seat. Okay. Um... So, uh, so where was I going with that? Yeah, um, so resource conservation. Resource conservation, yeah. late 90s. Late 90s, yep. Okay. I graduated in 99. Um, and it's funny because a lot of people are like, oh, like you, you know, so many people like you never actually use your, your degree. And I say, oh, I use my degree every single day. There's mm-hmm. like the coffee industry and resource conservation are extremely um, tied together. There's a lot of connections there. And, and that's, especially, that's, especially with black coffee because we're super yeah. focused on sustainability. Um, yeah, I mean, that's one thing that struck me right away when getting to know your business is the deep commitment to sustainability, mm-hmm. transparency in your supply mm-hmm. chain, uh, you know, reading about the particulars of your roaster and how special that is. So yeah. I'd love to touch on all We can of talk about all that stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But um, but no, we're super proud of it, and we try to we try to really boast about it, actually, because it's it's an unusual... We're 100% organic. Yeah. And that alone within the coffee industry is extremely unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll notice that pretty much any coffee roaster will probably have some organic coffees. Um, some of them will, but, but, but most will have some organic coffees. But they'll mostly also have a bunch of non-organic coffees. And we... Um, Within a year of being open, we drew the line and said that we just we we wanted to be 100% organic. Okay, um, and that and, and opening that was 2010. We right? opened in 2010. Okay, should we gloss over the stuff between the late 90s and 2010? Like, what, what were you up to in that? Uh, I had kids young. Okay. Um. So I was, I was 23. Um, when I got the call from um, my now wife, uh, that. Uh, we were going to have a baby. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, I was working at McKenzie River Pizza at the time out on Reserve Street. It mm-hmm. used to be in Rowdy's Cabin. Okay. Um, so I was working at McKenzie River. I quickly took a job um, at the Good Food Store yep. then. So I started working at the Good Food Store in 2000, um, back when it was on Kensington Street, the old little location. Okay. Um, I worked in the deli there. Um, and I worked there for eight and a half years. Pretty quickly after I got the job there, I ended up transferring over and I became the cheese buyer. Okay, um, so starting to get to know supply chain. Well, not only supply chain, but developing a palette. Yeah. Which yeah. was really important. So I was the cheese buyer for like six years and I loved the job. Okay. Um, loved working at the good food store. Still love the good food store. Mm-hmm. Um, know a lot of people over there. Um, it's a great, great company. And they treat me. And, and one of the reasons I started there is because they offered insurance to employees. Yeah, which um, you know, we suddenly a, as, yeah, as a father. We were a kid and so, that. yeah. And in that, and they also had a profit sharing deal because it's a they're um they're a nonprofit. Okay. So they have profit sharing with their employees. Sure. And if it hadn't been for that, I don't know if I would have had the the you know that that really helped in the financials of, of opening Black Coffee. So mm-hmm. so I have a lot to it was a good food store. And they've been a great partner for you guys since the start. I would mm-hmm. imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a, a well one one of many, but the good food store has been they've been on board with Black Coffee very early. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, before we even had. A product to show them that they were they were on board with with selling what we uh, so worked there for for eight and a half years six years as a cheese buyer like I said I really developed a palette um, because you can kind of transfer over like a palette from something like cheese 
to coffee pretty easily. And my business partner, Jim, was in the wine industry. Okay. And the same thing. You develop a palate. Because yeah. developing a palate is really kind of just like focusing on subtle nuances. And once you start like learning to sort of sort of single out flavor elements and just kind of think in that way. Uh-huh. And I've always been pretty nerdy like that when it comes to like flavor and food. Um, and like even like in my 20s, we used to have like do little wine tastings over at my house. And, okay. Um, and Amy would kind of laugh at me because we're, you know, we're like doing the whole like sipping and spitting of wine. Um, and so I've always like been predisposed to, to thinking in those terms. Um, so the helping develop a palate, but also, especially at the new good food store where it's at now, uh-huh. um, is the cheesemonger. I was on the floor all the time. Um, and I talked to so many people and I met so many folks from Missoula, um, through doing that. And then also through the 2000s and into now, my wife and I have just been super involved in the community as far as, uh, sitting on boards, um, we started that. There's this kickball league in Lat in town that, yeah, we, that yeah. we started. Okay, um, and we're actually no longer involved. We, we but we we ran that for eight years and and just really like made a lot of connections this, in this town. And your wife's an entrepreneur herself. She as well. She owns Betty's Divine. Divine. Yeah, right. Amy. Yep. Two um, small to medium sized businesses in the same family. I mean, you, yeah, scary. You no shortage of it's scary uh, demands on your time. No. <laughs> so, um, so at any rate, um, yeah, so, so that's sort of how, and then after the good food store, I worked at, um, I was the, the manager of the coffee shop at Le Petit Ultra, Okay. Um, over there on Myrtle and Forth. Um, so I did that for two years. Um, another place that takes seriously the experience, the taste, the yep, product. Absolutely. And they make they make good coffee, and yeah. um, and so sort of got a little bit further into the the coffee industry there, um, and then you know opening opening black coffee was uh, was one of those things where you know there 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 are different businesses in town that Missoulians really relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, working at Liberty, I, you know, amongst the people that I, I sort of associate with, like if you want a loaf of bread. You're gonna to go to Le Petit. Yeah. You know, if you want to go get an ice cream sundae, you're gonna to go to the Big Dipper. Right. Because it just resonates. Um, if you want to go grab a beer, you're gonna to go to the Kettle House or now out to Big Sky. Now that they have their tap room, you know, there's certain places that just like you know you have friends that come into town and you're like, oh, we gotta go check out this. You gotta go have some of this ice cream or you gotta, you gotta check this beer. You know. So what do you? Th- I mean, what do you think that is about Missoula? Because I noticed that too. And you know, I've lived in big cities, small towns, but I noticed that right away. Like. There was definitely places to go when I moved well, here. Like, I think this the, is where you go for your coffee. This is where you go for yeah. your beer. This is who you talk to for your bike, whatever it right. is. And loyal followings. I think the Missoulians really like to take care of their own. Yeah. And they really like to support people that support this town, I think is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though I'm from Boston and a lot of folks in Montana would would tell me I'm not from Montana because yeah. I was born in Boston. At this point, living here 20 years and being as involved as I have been in the community, and not because I'm trying to get something back from it, but just yeah. because I love it here and I'm going to live here my whole life. And I got two kids now, and and they've both been raised here, um, and I never plan on leaving. Um, and so I've really tried to like put as much energy in as, as, as I can into this town. Yeah. Um, and I think I think people from Missoula just recognize that and and they can smell a lie from a mile away. So it's yes. like if I think that if you're in like if your intentions are to try to just like make money off of this town, it just doesn't work. Corporations mm. downtown don't work so well. Right. Um, right. And I always told people like 
two things. My my goals as far as Black Coffee were, and my business partners as well, was always just to to live in the town that I want to live in, and to raise my kids here. Yep. And and sort of be able to afford them, um, uh, you know, a nice childhood. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's it. You know what I mean? And I always tell people that like, if you're looking for a get rich quick scheme, don't open a small business in Missoula, Montana. Right. Right. You know, it's, 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 it's not, you know, black coffee. I'm so happy because I've been able to do, like I said, I've been able to stay here and raise my kids here and I love my job. Mm -hmm. And I used to always, I used to always say that there are two types of people in this world or three actually, but mainly there are two. One is folks that are really career driven and they will do whatever it takes to, to make it in a certain profession. And, uh, you, you know, some doctors would fall into this category. Um, maybe some professors as well, yep. where it's like, I'm, I'm going to be a doctor and no matter where I have to go to take a job, I will do that because I want sure. to, I want this profession. Yep. There are other folks and I, I put myself into that category before. Now, like I said, I did love my job at the good food store, but the other, the other person would be, um, I'm really committed to living in a certain place mm -hmm. and I'm going to sort of do whatever it takes to, to piece things together so that I can stay there. Right. Right. And then the third person, which is, a, I think, a small percentage of folks, is someone that gets both of those things. Mm -hmm. And I just feel super lucky to be one of those people now that has both of those things. I love my job, and I love where I live. Yeah, so let's get into that. I guess I would probably put myself, by virtue of good luck and accident, in that third category. I, mean, I was going to say that about you, but I didn't want to speak for you. Yeah, I mean, this job, you know, did my grad school at University of Washington, mm -hmm. big city, but also a city that affords a quality of life yeah. and an access. But so you grew up in the East? I did. Yeah. I grew up in, in New Hampshire and then bounced around, college in Philadelphia, a few years in San Francisco, back to Philly mm -hmm. and to Seattle. Um, but yeah, you know, a university like the University of Montana wasn't really on my radar mm -hmm. screen. Uh, these academic job markets are a little odd in that it's this unique kind of convergence of your skills, the needs of the university, the fit, and all these different things. You don't have a lot of control over where you go. And I was just hugely fortunate that University of Montana was hiring for you know, somebody with, with my skill set. And it's just been this... I feel like I lucked out. Yeah, Great job awesome. in a great town. Yeah, so totally. Similar, but I, I feel like... I sort of walked into it blindly, hugely fortunate, but you, I mean, you created this. So you're in a situation, you get a young family, how do you then, and you're starting to learn more about coffee at some point, you're getting to know Jim more, yep. and decide developing this palette and thinking, you know, what, what's sort of the, the notion of, well, like, well, okay, let's do yeah, this. Yeah, to bring it back around, I realize now that we just we just went on a tangent, but um, so we were talking about the Big Dipper, we are talking about like Big Sky and Kettle House, yeah. we were talking about Le Petit, um, and it, it was sort of while I was at the Petit that I was I was thinking to myself, there's really no, at that point it didn't feel like there was really a, a coffee brand, as far as like a roastery yeah. that Missoulians really resonated with, where they were like, oh, we gotta go check out, you know, I mean there was really no coffee roaster in Missoula at the time because Hunter Bay's around here, but those guys are out in Lolo and you yep. know they, they do a solid job, but because they're in Lolo, they're, now they have a coffee shop in Missoula, but because they're in Lolo, I think it was just enough off the beaten path that if someone's in Missoula, they, there wasn't really an opportunity to go check out their facility, you know. Yeah. Um, so at the time, there was no one that was roasting coffee in Missoula. 
Right. Um, and we were like, we, we would love to like be, you know, sort of who people kind of resonate with, Missoulians, like the Missoulians Coffee Roasting Company. And also at the time in Missoula, like the, the, the you know, like the sort of lighter roasted coffee, um, which was, was definitely on, on trend in 2010 when we opened wasn't really being represented much in Missoula most okay. most of the roasters from around here that are being sold here were doing a, like a real dark roasted coffees um, and there's still a market for that but uh, but we wanted to focus on sort of the, the lighter roasted coffees the more subtle nuances of coffee okay um, and so you're thinking about this from the standpoint of place yeah not a roaster here uh-huh. a niche I mean you got you have yeah. to you have to sort of you know, opening a business, that's definitely like, and I have a lot of folks now that just in a way, cause we got lucky maybe, or we were smart or whatever, but we're going on eight years and I'm still having my fingers crossed cause 10 years is sort of the magic number when it comes to small business. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, but I, I think at this point that I can say that, uh, we're probably going to make it to 10 years, um, yeah. cause yeah. things are going well, but, uh, but yeah, so when, when folks come to me and ask me for advice on, on, on opening a business, that's the first thing is you have to establish a niche. You have to figure out a market that's not being served. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if, if you're opening a business and you're thinking about doing something that's already being done, well, you, you better kind of second guess yourself a little bit. Or be really confident that you can do it better. Totally. Totally. But at the time, what we were doing was definitely a, a market that was not being served. So at this point in town, did people have much, and I say people, like the, a lot of people going and getting their coffee, wherever, wherever it is around town. Mm-hmm. Um, do people have much thought about where the beans are coming from, whether it's the brand or, or with you guys, even deeper, not just the brand, but the whole sort of transparent supply chain that that brand represents. But do people... Are people thinking about where their beans are coming from at that point? I don't think so, really. I mean, I think that you sort of, um, especially in Missoula, which was, you know, you know, Portland, um, San Francisco and Seattle were kind of the driving, the driving towns yeah. behind the sort of like the, the what would be called third. We, black coffee would be considered a third wave roaster. Okay. Um, and so that's sort of like actually define you know, what's this third wave. I thought you were going to say third place because that was kind of a Starbucks no, term, but no, like first wave would be like Starbucks. Okay. Second wave would be like Stumptown. Stumptown and those third, guys. Third wave is like the small roasters that got it around. Um, and so, uh, um, so I think at the time of Missoula, I don't think people really were thinking about where their beans were coming from. I think they were sort of thinking, you know, they knew that, like, if they went shopping for coffee, that they liked Sumatra, or they, you know, there would be, like, a name that they resonated with. But blends were so popular, and when you buy a blend, you really don't know Mm -hmm. where those beans are coming from. Um, So I don't think so, but I think that, you know, like I said, I think there were just, like, some trigger words that people had when they were shopping that sort of led them to a coffee or a, a, the way a package looked on the shelf, maybe. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I think that um, I think that we really started trying to bring attention to, like, like origins of coffee. Um, and also, you know, one of the things that we've tried to do um, through social media and also just through talking to our customers is that, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of work that goes into growing coffee. Um, and, and we... We're only one part of the process. You can't, um, there's a lot of work that goes into it and the science behind coffee growing has really changed 
to where like the, the ways that coffee is processed in process being in the country of origin after it's harvested, the way it's dried, essentially, okay. Okay. Uh, the way it's dealt with, um, the methods of processing, uh, the growing conditions, how uh, attentive um, the farmers are when harvesting the coffee, making sure they're just harvesting ripe cherries. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the, a lot of, a lot of what goes into a great cup of coffee or us roasting good coffee doesn't happen at Black Coffee, but rather happens at Origin, yeah. where the coffee is grown. Okay. And then it kind of goes down through the line, through the importers and exporters. Eventually, mm-hmm. we get the coffee, um, and then we roast it. And so it's like, and then we then we prepare it. You know, we have a barista and an espresso machine, and then we give you a cup of coffee and trying to make sure that people recognize the connection between this cup of coffee that we're giving you and that person that started the, you know, started the coffee plant yeah. 3,000 miles away four years ago, you know, because it takes a little while for a coffee plant to even start producing cherries. So it's so, so really trying to bring attention to the fact that we can't take a poorly grown coffee bean and roast great coffee of it. Sure. We can take a really great coffee bean and ruin it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like there's a there's there's definitely a responsibility that we feel to the folks that are growing the coffee uh-huh. um, and just trying to recognize that relationship um, that we're so proud to be a part of. So how does that relationship work? I guess what, what I'm sort of thinking about is you know, 2010, you're launching this business. You want to roast beans here. Mm-hmm. You have a deep commitment to sustainability and transparency in your supply chain. How do you then decide okay, we're going to buy beans from this zone or this farmer. I don't even know how that supply chain works. I mean, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, um, there's there's what's called a coffee belt that basically uh, it's X many degrees above and below the equator. So picture, um, you know, uh, picture a belt around the globe. Yeah. That kind yeah, of is yeah. on the middle of the belt is right over the equator. Okay. Okay. And so that's where coffee is grown along that belt. Um, and so, like, the furthest north um, and closest to us that you can buy coffee from is Mexico, mm-hmm. but you can only buy it from Oaxaca and Chiapas. Okay. Anything north of Oaxaca, I, th- I think Chiapas is south of Oaxaca, yeah. Um, anything north of Oaxaca is too far north for coffee to grow. Okay. And so, so that's, so Mexico and then down into Central and South America, you can get a lot of coffee. As it goes, um, and goes over, you get into, as it travels if you travel east around that that line, you would get to um, Indonesia. So you get a lot of coffee from Indonesia. That's where Sumatra is. That's yep. where Bali is. Uh, Papua New Guinea, the island of Java, mm-hmm. um, and then over into Africa. Um, and there are a bunch of African countries where you can buy coffee from: um, uh, Ethiopia, Kenya, Uganda, um, the Congo. Um, but but it's not all of Africa. It's just these coffee these countries that are along that that belt. Um, and then over into Hawaii. Um, but, uh, so that's where all the coffee that anybody can get is from. Sure. Um, but yeah, you know, there's different, uh, coffee's grown at different elevations, um, different, different climates. Um, so there's a word that you might've heard of called terroir. Uh-huh. And it basically just means that, you know, coffee grown in one place, even if you took the same exact coffee plant and, and planted it in two different places, um, the coffee that comes from from that plant is going to taste different because of uh, different humidities, different temperatures, different altitudes, uh, annual rainfall, the soil type, 
uh -huh. whether it's volcanic soil or not. Sure. Um, and so all of those things affect the coffee beans. And likewise, coffee from the same exact farm year to year is going to taste different because, you know, every every year is different in a place that's hotter or colder or whatever. So so we're, we don't necessarily ever commit to getting coffee from the same farm year after year. Okay. Um, only because... Like I said, some some farms might they might have a really great harvest one year and then maybe the next year it's not as good. So we try to work with with different farms. That said, um, now that Jim is doing more international travel and we're yeah. actually starting to to create some relationships with some individual farms and doing some direct trade type stuff, you know, you start getting into that and then you once you start getting to know uh, families or cooperatives or individuals in other countries and, and developing friendships, yep. then you start, you know, wanting to kind of go back to the same farms year after year because right. you have an emotional connection to them. Makes sense. Yeah. And you, you, I mean, that speaks to kind of this notion of transparency as well. It does. Yeah. So, okay. So you launched, launched the shop and you're over in this, uh, just off of Russell with home resource for, or five years there? No, not even. Um, Maybe last. Second. When did you move over to the Quantico? No, no. I think I guess you're right. I guess it was. I guess it was just shy of four years that we were over there. Yeah, it seemed like at that point, the majority of the game was was wholesale. The roasting wholesale. Yeah. Well, when we first opened, we weren't even going to have retail. Yeah. Okay. That was our initial plan. So, yeah, what was the kind of decision making there? Well, um, the decision making there was that, so we knew that we wanted to focus on wholesale, mm -hmm. um, but we also, you know, you need to know that your product is tasting right. Yeah. So we yeah. needed to have an espresso machine we needed to have the grinders. We needed to have a, you know, an industrial coffee maker because we needed to, you know, it was really a friend of mine that was like, so let me get this straight. Like, you're going to have an espresso machine. <laughs> and we're like, yeah. And they're like, and you're going to have the all the equipment, yeah, yeah. the grinders. Yeah, a ton and, of coffee. And we're like, yeah. And they're like, and then you're, and you're not going to sell any. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Because, <laughs> I mean, that first location was awesome in the sense that I felt like you, you just soak up knowledge of the yeah. product walking in there. Yeah. I mean, it was because you're surrounded by it. That's, it yeah, was it was immersive. Yeah. You, you go in and buy beans and whoever was staffing the shop, or to, you can't even really call it a shop. It was mostly me and Jim. Yeah. And then Rory was on board and then Kara was on early. And Rory and Kara are still with us and they've been there for years so everyone I, think that, I remember at the time that like, Kara would ride the bike with you had the van and the bike and yep. deliver, deliver yeah. beans all around town yeah and I mean when we first opened up for the first while it was just when it was just me and Jim um, our hours were 10 to noon Monday through Friday for tasting just for coming in to buy a cup of coffee or a bag of coffee yeah and the rest of the time was hustling around town yeah, because we were doing, uh, we were doing, we were, do, you know, I was the barista, and you know, Jim and I both roasted, um, and then him and I were trying to do like accounts receivable, receivable payable, yeah, yeah. and we were trying to go out and get new accounts. So we were doing sales, um, and you know, pack, doing all the coffee bagging. And what are these? I mean, any one of those things you just listed. There's a point in your process where you're like. Okay, I can't do this all. I need to hire somebody. Somebody. To do, like, what are those milestones? What's that thought process for you? Because that's something that trips up a lot of entrepreneurs. They yeah. think, I can't afford to hire somebody, but they don't value their own time enough in the equation. There's, you know, well, well, okay. So, so over the years, I'll give you the milestones. But so we hired a, a couple, a couple of folks um, that uh, are our first employees, um, and they each worked 
uh, like four hours a week, I think, okay. like two hours on Tuesdays and two yep. hours on Thursdays or something like that. Um, and so we started doing that, and so they were sort of became the baristas, mm -hmm. and then maybe their hours expanded, so they were doing all the barista work, and Jim and I were just roasting. Okay. Kara came on really early, and um, she was uh, doing our books at the time. She's now our green bean buyer as well. Okay. Um, so she's taken over that, which was one of my jobs. Um, and then we hired folks to bag the coffee, and then, you know, eventually a delivery driver. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, and now we have 20 employees. And, wow. and so, you know, if, if you're talking about, like, as an entrepreneur, like, kind of the rule of thumb, you know, if you're looking at it from sort of like a national uh, a national level, is people say that you want to create time for yourself where you're no longer working in your business, but rather you're working on your yeah, business. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so we've tried to achieve that at the same time. I haven't. I haven't taken it quite as literally as as some might, okay. um, because I still like working in my business. Yeah, um, and I I like hanging out and spending time with my employees and getting to know them and um, you know letting them get to know me and and it gives me the connection with the customers as well. So I work you know I work the bar one day a week making drinks and mm -hmm. um, which is actually something I stopped doing for a while and now I'm able to do it again. So I just I don't know I think that maybe Missoula. To just say I'm going to work on my business, not in your business. To me, that maybe feels like it becomes less personal. Yeah, I think that mindset is is really consistent with that community ethic that right. central to you know your work and your yeah. wife's work, and also what what sort of indicates success in this in this place or enables success right. in this yeah. place. Like, I don't. Know, yeah. Again, I don't like it, and I don't. I don't know that Missoulians in general do. It's, it's always odd to me when I see a business and I'm like, oh, like the owner is never there. Yeah, there's an authenticity that here yeah. um, with the successful businesses in this community that, that I think to me stands stands out. Yeah. So speaking of that, that authenticity, you know, from my perspective as, as a marketing professor, one of the things that I'm really interested in is branding. Mm -hmm. And to me, branding starts with a great product. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's also the stories you tell with that product. And it was you know, one of the things I've always respected and admired about black coffee is you guys just do a great job telling stories mm -hmm. about the business, about the community, about the coffee. And can you talk a little bit about how that the branding came to be and how you guys approach your 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 communication with customers, both in the store and with your social feeds and things yeah, like that? Yeah, well... Um, that, I mean, the branding, like if you want to think about the initial branding being the bag, mm -hmm. the bag of coffee. Yeah. Um, and at the time what we were really going for was we, we wanted a very, very simple, um, clean, bold package. Both Jim and I are pretty, um, pretty attractive to kind of Scandinavian, okay. um, Scandinavian design, yep. um, which is very angular, um, and, uh, simple, simple, bold yeah. lines. Yeah. Um, and so that was sort of where we started with, you know, AM was sort of our original idea. Mm -hmm. Um, so we started with AM and PM. We thought we'd, you know, PM being decaf and AM yeah, the being, big block letter. Yeah, 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 yeah. the big okay. block letters. Um, and just, uh, you know, if you look at any, like if you go to a grocery store and you check out like a beer section or a wine section or olive oil or coffee or whatever, everything, everything can it gets so busy. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And sometimes if you just create a really simple, bold look, it kind of stands out in mm -hmm. this sea of sort of chaos. 
Yeah, I can I can see how the AM, both the AM and the PM, and the single uh, origin. And yeah, both all all three of those really stand out. Yeah, the, so that's kind of that's kind of where we started, okay. um, and uh, have stuck with it. And we sort of tried to tie that same sort of theme into our our shop in the Quonset Hut now, uh-huh. with the uh, with the the colors, and we tied in the colors the, you know the the colors from our coffee bags a little bit into our. Our shop, and I don't know yep. if you ever noticed that with the green wall and the white. And, yeah, yeah, but, uh, absolutely. But, it ties in with the single origin bags. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, but still, I've tried to like really like in our shop. Uh, we don't hang a whole lot of um, artwork on our walls. We have mm-hmm. pretty. Uh, it's not bare. It's not cold. It's just. It's it's pretty pretty clean and simple. Yeah. Um, Deliberate too. Deliberately, so yes. Yeah. Um, and then, um, as far as marketing goes, you know, it's like I really feel like. I mean, Jim's done such a good job with our social media feed, and um, so our Instagram feed... Is that feed, mostly his photography, That's all too. his he photography. He is such a gifted photographer. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Um, and so that sort of... Um, that talent of his has just sort of... Uh, I think it I think it came to be a marketing benefit for us just sort of out of sheer luck. It just happens to be one of his passions mm-hmm. and something he's really good at. And um, our Instagram feed isn't so much about coffee as it is just about sort of Montana lifestyle. Yeah. Um, so that's been really fun. And then, like I say, I think that just, you know, through us really liking people mm-hmm. and talking to people, I mean, I think that we, I should actually talk, I want to, you know, kind of pick your brain a little bit okay. another, another time because I feel like it's I need not. some marketing advice, but we might have just gotten kind of lucky, maybe. I don't think it's just luck. I mean, I think it's just sort of maybe our, um, the skill set that we just brought with us to the table just sort of naturally lended itself towards some, some pretty... Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I wouldn't classify it as luck so much as you have an authenticity uh-huh. that is clear and you have you a, a, a clear notion of what you want to develop as a product right? and how you want to tell the stories around that product and then some great ability to then execute. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've executed well as entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. but also the storytelling piece. The storytelling, and that's just, that's just you know, through through connection with people. And we, I mean, for a while, we never advertised, like, in, in anything. Like, we, there was never a black coffee ad in, in a newspaper, and yeah. there's still very little. Like, we're, we don't, we always thought our, our best advertising was to be able to get a cup of coffee into somebody's hand. And so we, we focused more on going places and giving away free coffee. Yeah, I mean, you guys are everywhere. You get the product out there. Mm-hmm. And the other thing you do is you have cool events at the shops, at tastings. Uh-huh. And have, you know, was it, uh, what were they called, like the pop-up you did uh-huh. over the holidays? Yep, the holiday sale. Yeah, so interacting with other businesses mm-hmm. and co-branding yep. and... Yeah, there are definitely a handful of shops that kind of opened up at the same time as us yeah. around Missoula, like the Burn Street Bistro right. and the Dram Shop, mm-hmm. and sort of this this sort of generation of um, of businesses. And so it's been pretty fun for us to kind of align ourselves with with those guys. Yeah, it's um, like this generational cohort of entrepreneurs. Yeah, Killing Frost Farm and Mighty Fine Farms, and you guys did a blend for I don't know if it was a blend, but you did like a, a bourbon barrel aged thing yep. for Montgomery Distillery, if I With, recall. Yep, totally Montgomery Distillery. Those guys are good buddies of ours, and yeah, yeah, we got a bourbon barrel from them and aged some coffee beans in that. And so it's been fun to sort of like align ourselves with other folks, um, and then also uh, as far as um, events and whatnot that we sponsor, really trying to choose carefully. Yeah, and and 
choose carefully, but also choose choose organizations and events that that um, that really strike us as, as as beneficial and sort of you know kind of aligning ourselves with folks that enjoy the same parts of Montana that we do. So, like at this point, as you know, we we uh, you know we're a big sponsor, one of the one of the bigger sponsors of. Uh, the rut with Mike Wolf yep. and Mike Foot, you know. Absolutely. Uh, I think the North Face is their title sponsor, but then they have a hand, handful mm-hmm. of uh, second tier sponsors. We're there. Um, MTB Missoula last year, we were one of their title sponsors, uh-huh. um, which felt really good. This year, we're going to be doing some stuff with Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Oh, great. Which is yeah, a really yeah. cool organization that happens to be based out of Missoula, Montana. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're really neat. They, and they're not, they're, their name implies that they would just be sort of like a hunting and fishing organization. But they go way that. beyond yeah. that. They're really like one of the main uh, organizations nationwide that is really like on the ground everywhere advocating for open space mm-hmm. and public land. Um, and that's a huge thing for Jim and I is, is open space and public land and the yeah. importance of that. And yeah. generally try not to get too political, but that's a political issue. Polit- not trying not to get too, too political as a business but that's um, one one area that, that we want to be very outspoken about. And so to be able to support BHA and what those guys are doing as far as like really advocating um, diligently and consistently for open space and open land, is, we're excited. So this year will be our first year as a sponsor for those guys. That's fantastic. Um, but, you know, we, uh, we sponsor the Missoula Art Museum. And, uh, I mean, gosh, it's, it's funny because we really like – I don't know that we've hardly ever – said no to sponsoring something uh rocky horror picture show mm-hmm. uh, you still sponsor the ski patrollers we there? sponsor the ski patrollers of snowball they all wear yeah. patches and we give them money yeah. annually and and so yeah it's been really fun just to sort of like get involved with as many people as we can the public schools in missoula we help out with events um, for the public schools and donate coffee for um you know they have their their Mother's Day and Father's Day events at the schools, and we give coffee to those. And yeah. so so yeah, it's just we we really like like I say we like to there's a a number of folks that we sponsor because they're maybe advocating for similar issues mm-hmm. that we enjoy, but then also to align ourselves with as many different Missoula based organizations as possible has been fun. And there's something about that like coffee is it's a it's a powerful vehicle to create intimacy. It is. It creates conversation and relationships, yeah. yeah. I mean, you definitely know it when you go into a place and it's like this giant vat of brown liquid that yeah. you don't know a thing about. Yeah. You go to the gas station or if it's a place that's thoughtful yeah. about what it is that you're serving yeah. or sharing or yeah. whatever it is. And you guys are... You guys do it right. Thank you. It's really, it's been fun to sort of, well, I mean, like I said, I moved here a couple of years after you launched, but just to kind of been be observing your business from an outsider perspective. As we kind of end this thing, I want to, I want to talk about what might be next for Black Coffee in terms of expansion or ideas for your business. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to keep those cards a little bit close to my chest. Of course. But, but we're not trying to, we're not in the news business. (laughs) Yeah. But, but we definitely like, um, and the thing is that, I mean, Jim and I are like, we, we have constant, a constant stream of ideas. Yeah. Um, and some of them happen and some of them don't. Sure. Um, but no, we definitely like, for us, um, we don't, we don't necessarily want to, you know, grow the business in any crazy ways at this point. Cause, cause we're happy with where it's at. But I okay. think that if you, I think that, uh, you know, from a business perspective as well, one, if you actually decide that you're going to stop trying to grow your business, so I, I just went and said that we're not we don't really need to grow the business. Yeah. But 
I think we always are trying to sort of continually grow the business mm -hmm. because once you stop trying, then I think it can just become stale pretty quickly. Yeah, complacency. Um, complacency. So just trying to like come up with um, new ideas, keep things fresh, uh, new flavors at the shop. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we'd like to do more First Friday events. Those have been fun. Okay. We've been doing them like every other month. Um, and so, for instance, we did a big one with um, uh, Karen uh, Cartography. Yep, I remember um, that one. And that was we did in collaboration with our uh, summer blend, which is Topo. Okay. Um, and so then we did like we're serving free Topo. Uh, Jim just recently got back from Ethiopia. So I think um, once the fresh crop of coffee that we got from the farm that he was visiting in Ethiopia comes in, I think we'll probably do a, um, a slideshow of his trip to Ethiopia and do a, um, an Ethiopian coffee event um, with the fresh crop. Awesome. And um, uh, so, so first Friday events, but first Friday events that are, that are tied in with coffee. Not because, like I said, we don't have a whole lot of art on our walls, and sure. because it's a Kwanzaa hut, there's no really yeah, like the arching walls curved. So, so I don't think that we'll ever get into like hanging art every month, but but trying to figure out ways that we can tie First Friday events in yeah. to sort of coffee education yeah. experiences for folks. Um, so that'll be really fun. Um, but yeah, we got a we got a couple other ideas up our sleeve that uh, we'll just have to. See if they <laughs> fall out of the sleeve. Anytime, I'm sure they'll fall soon. out, and I'm sure they'll be well subscribed by this yeah. community because you guys are such greater, great supporters of it. Uh, Matt, this is awesome. I mean, I love your business, your product, your outlook on opportunity, and I really appreciate how generous you've been with your time in this endeavor, but also more broadly how generous you are in the community. I appreciate um, it. As we close here, I, I mean, most listeners, I would assume, know about the shop. Um, but just to make sure, I want to, how can people find you to experience this great product and uh, learn more about Black Coffee? Cool. Our address is 525 East Bruce Street. Um, and uh, we're open seven days a week. Uh, Monday through Friday, we open at 630. Um, and uh, Saturdays at 7, Sundays at 8. Uh, you can find us online at blackcoffeeroastingco.com and on Instagram at blackcoffee.mt. Awesome. Matt, thanks a lot. Thanks, Justin. That was Bye. fun. Take care. You too. All right. It was super fun to talk to Matt. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Coming up next week, we have another Missoula legend, another local business with which you, um, whether you're from Missoula or, or maybe even out of town, you've probably heard of these guys, the Big Dipper, Charlie Beaton. Um, really stoked to talk to Charlie and bring that interview to you. Stay tuned. Remember that a new angle was brought to you by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. They're one of the largest electrical wholesale companies in the country with nearly 600 locations nationwide. CED is a privately owned business-to-business -business company that distributes just about every piece of equipment to keep your lights on, your energy flowing, and your lifestyle comfortable. CED is also an important employer in Missoula, and they have a keen interest in University of Montana graduates. To explore career opportunities, check out www.cedcareers.com. Moving forward, if you have any suggestions for guests, for guests, Moving forward, if you have any suggestions for guests, cool people doing awesome things with creativity and hustle, please let us know. And if you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways you can support it. First, rate us on iTunes. Ratings help others find the show. Second, write a review. The more reviews we get, and hopefully positive ones, the more we can grow. And third, please just tell your friends about it. In addition, you can support A New Angle financially. 
For information on sponsorship opportunities, please visit our website, www.business.umt.edu slash a new angle. There you will also find a link to support the pod. Before we go, I'd like to thank a few people for making this project happen. First of all, Elizabeth Willey, Communications Director here at the University of Montana College of Business. I'd also like to thank recent UM graduate Michelle DeFluke and our fabulous interns Savannah Sletton and Max Gibson. And a special thanks to VTO for providing the show with music. Finally, thanks to my producer, Stefan Borson. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot and see you next time.